Are you a business-to-business -business sales leader looking to lead your sales team to new heights? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Purpose Driven Sales Podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Josh Sweeney, joined by my co-host, Taylor Barnes. Taylor, how are you today? Joshua, I'm good, but you must get to the chopper. The sales team has a call to give. Oh, that is horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how it. good that was. Maybe just we kidding. could uh, maybe we no. could edit that out before we send it out, or man, you know what? Just let it fly. Screw it. No, no, just kidding. I loved it. So <laughs> it really, uh, really tells everybody what we're dealing with today. If they if they get past the accent, you know, <laughs> what's really happening here? Um, That's right. That's right. So. To your point, Josh, um, that was my best impression of Schwarzenegger in Commando trying to get back to the chopper because you can imagine there is a whole lot of helicopter parent sales managers out there. Yes, there are. And, and the challenge with being a helicopter parent sales manager <laughs> is that now you have a ton of re sales reps. At some point, you're going to have a, a too many sales reps coming to you for every little detail. That's right. So let's That's talk right. about some of the reasons this happens. Some of the, some of the reasons people turn into helicopter parent sales managers. Yeah. And I mean, if we're being honest, I think everybody that's been in management has experienced this to, to some extent. Uh, I know when I first became a manager, however many years ago, I, I really had this kind of challenge. And it wasn't like I was trying to be the micromanager, but at the same time, the big reason, number one for me, is I wanted it done right the first time. And I had a really tough time. Uh, I guess trust is the right word. I had a really tough time trusting my sales team to get it done right the first time. So the result of that was just me trying to do it all myself and, and not giving them a chance to spread their wings, fail, learn from experience, et cetera. So for me, Josh, it was because I wanted it done right the first time. Yeah. And I think when, when other people know you want it done right the first time, and maybe when it's not done right, you have a negative reaction, they start coming to you every time and you mm -hmm. start to become the bottleneck as the sales manager. And you're, you're also end up being this kind of sales QA person that everything goes through exactly. and uh, you're helping in, in every way that you can. And, you know, that can be done in a positive and negative way, depending on, you know, if you're the bottleneck and how you react to those, those challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> this doesn't scale. Let's be very clear, especially for organizations that are growing, you know, uh, similar to, you know, a lot of our audience that, that's growing as founders and their sales organizations are getting bigger and bigger. I, I can tell you from personal experience when we started with one or two and now we had, you know, now we've got 40 or 50 sales reps all over the world. It doesn't scale to be involved in every little step. And the fact is, I mean, if we're also being honest here, the fact is, is that who's to say that our style is the right style? It's not necessarily that, that we know everything. It, it simply comes down to us having to relinquish a little bit of that control and, and to, let, to let our sales reps grow into their own style. Because if, if you're a customer out there, you probably like different styles than just mine. You know, I, I don't know everything about everything. And, and so th that's been, that's been a typical struggle. Um, what, what else do I mean? There, there's a lot of different reasons why Josh, but, but those two quality, I think is another one. The sales manager doesn't trust the quality of the sales output. So I might want things done right the first time, but I also want it to look nice. I want it to 
be presentable. I want it to have very little chance of them poking holes in it or asking for a requote or asking for a change or correction. All these little things go into me wanting to hover over that sales rep to make sure that it's done right the first time. Yeah, I know I deal with this with founders all the time that are scaling their teams because their teams get used to, you know, in the same instances, the sales reps working with a sales manager, you know, founders have teams that have been with them for a long time. And so, you know, if you're always changing everything that they bring to you and always answering on their behalf and and being that crutch, you continue to build that cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And at some point it gets very unwieldy. Um, so for example, you know, another reason this happens is if somebody brings something to you and no matter what you as the sales manager change it and it's never good enough, then they're always going to see it as, Oh, well, I always have to go to them because it's not going to be right. That's right. You know, And, and so they just get into that vicious cycle. Right. Why would I, why would I start? I'm going to kind of bring the canvas, I'll bring the paint, but they're going to paint the picture on the canvas. I'm going to do the bare minimum to give my manager exactly what he or she needs in order to change it or correct it, because that's the kind of behavior that they've instilled in me as a sales rep that I'm never going to be able to get it right. So I'm just going to give it to them to do. Right. And and look, when we, when we really unpack that, we as sales managers are not doing anything good for their potential growth within our organization. Naturally, we want to encourage creativity. We want to encourage learning and growth and experience. And, and we can't do that if we're being that, that helicopter sales manager, that helicopter parent sales manager. Don't worry, I won't do any more accents. I think I've learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but that's the idea here. And so that, that's another just, just classic reason that it happens. I also think, you know, just I think a lot of it comes down to lack of training lack of subject matter expertise, you know, as, as managers, I think it's innately wired in us that we want to have most of the answers for our people. We want to be a source of training. We want to be a source of subject matter expertise. So at the end of the day, it's good that they come to us for those things, but that shouldn't translate into us needing to hover over every single detail. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you hit on that, that training piece of, you know, there's so many environments where the manager, the sales manager gets a new rep or has grown those reps and doesn't have time or doesn't feel like they have time to do training. But what you're really exchanging that for is time putting together training versus significantly more time of everybody coming to you for everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is a lack of training, that lack of subject matter expertise. And that's also why the reps come to the sales manager, right? If, if that sales manager has been in the organization a lot longer, they have the subject matter expertise. So now it's up to that sales manager of, okay, how do I do this properly mm-hmm. and in a scalable way that I'm not the crutch, right? I'm not yep. the, the helicopter sales manager coming in. Yep, exactly. And, and, and the excuse and the excuse or the reason for, well, why do I hover over my sales reps? Because they don't have much experience. That is a, that, that's a double-edged sword. Uh, if you're not going to give them the experience of learning how not to do it, then how would you expect them to learn how to do it? Yeah, th- this is one of those where it's a, kind of a vicious cycle. And so that is probably one of the systemic fundamentals of a micromanager uh, and then in this, in this regard, we, we can't lean on the, well, they don't have an experience. No, th- that's fine. That's what training is for. That's what learning is for. That's what education is for. But until you're ready to quote unquote, cut that cord and, and get that helicopter out of that landing pad, you're not going to be able 
to give them the experience that they need in order to grow into the kind of uh, salesperson that they need to be. Yeah, most definitely. And I think with, you know, with those points, you know, we kind of talked about the quality, um, you know, the quality that the sales manager is looking for, you know, other things that put you in the vicious cycle or wanting it done right every time, you know, perfectly every time, you know, always, always changing what they provide. So they mm-hmm. feel like they have to come to you, the mm-hmm. lack of training. So these are all reasons why the sales reps start to come to the sales manager for every little detail. So let's talk about some of the solutions for the sales yeah. managers. Yeah. Um, you know, what's one of the solutions you have? I mean, when I coach our sales managers and, and when, I, when I see them hovering over and doing this, what I explain to them is it's not bad that your salesperson comes to you to make sure that things look tight before they get to the customer. In fact, I think it's a great thing, but it should be little changes at a time. It shouldn't be redoing the entire document. It shouldn't be poking holes in every little aspect of the responses. We want our salespeople to have their own style. We want them to have their own creativity. We want them to build an authentic, genuine relationship with their customer. And they can't do that if every response back to them isn't their own response, right? That defeats the purpose of them being able to build an authentic business and personal relationship with the client. So what I always recommend, Josh, don't redo the entire thing. Don't redo the entire message. Let them keep their style. Let them keep their character, perhaps just little changes at a time versus redoing the whole thing. Now, I know you've been in some of these situations too. Um, you know, uh, for, for instance, I think you're excellent at, at training and whatnot. And I think that's a good solution to one of the reasons. Give me an example of, of ways that, that you've, uh, you know, created a solution potentially around this training reason. Yeah. So one of the things I like to do is I will see the issue and instead of doing it for them, I will actually look at that and say, okay, they are coming to me because they don't know how to do this. And if they don't know, or they need coaching, how do I put together some sort of training material quickly that can be reutilized for everybody and go out to the entire team? Mm -hmm. So if I just fix a problem for one rep, all I did was fix a problem for one rep and they're going to come back to me with more problems, right? More Mm -hmm. challenges over time. And instead what I do is I like to use things like Loom. I think you said you use Loom as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Loom's great. So like Loom, I can just record a video. So I had this happen the other day. You know, I had some, some new people come on board and they had gone through some of the training and then an issue came up and I was like, oh, wow. You know, we, we have changed kind of how we deliver that from a sales perspective. So I just go on and, and create a Loom video real quick, record it, walk them through it. Very little effort in five to 10 minutes. And then I send that out to the entire team. Mm-hmm. And so now I have training that happens on the fly and everybody gets to partake in the training instead of, again, me just becoming the crutch for that salesperson. Yeah. And you know what I love about what you just said? That is a one-time effort that you can reuse over and over again to help train them and to help them fine tune. I don't know wh- whether it's a pitch or a proposal or a pre-sale or, or whatever you're coaching here. I love that. And that gives you the freedom to not be involved in every little detail. Because look, guys and girls, if you're the sales manager out there, there is definitely a bad side to this, an unhealthy side to this. And some people call it pulling out their hair. Other people just call it <laughs> straight up stress. It, it might feel comfortable and it might feel, it might help you feel in control of this situation but as you scale that will not sustain that will turn into resentment judgment stress you will think that your organization is not prepared for the scale 
anyway, I don't want to get down a rabbit hole on that, but there's a lot of unhealthy parts about that. So I love the idea of making a video training via Loom or whatever your platform of choice is and being able to pump that out there as kind of your, your solution to the lack of experience. Yeah. And here's the thing we hear a lot is I'm too busy to create training, right? I'm too busy yeah. to create training material. Yeah. And I think what people have in their head is, you know, the training that they've been through where they're sitting in a classroom and they have curriculum and they have these well thought out videos. And, and that is one form of training I would highly recommend people put together. But with the Loom videos, you know, I'm just literally clicking record and going through the issue, the challenge, how we solve it, how we do something. And mm -hmm. like you said, that builds up over time. So, you know, we just brought on a new SDR and I just took her over and said, okay, start going through these videos in this order. And I had a list because when I record those, we put them in a training folder and I add the link to a document. And so as it happens and as things change, I add it to the document. So something I recorded previously, you know, gets updated and they see the update. They see the evolution of how we've done things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can go back and repurpose and, and combine and things like that when you have time. But I mean, a five minute training here and there in Loom on the fly, all of a sudden turns into an hour of training content uh, a month from now. Exactly. And then your new people can just jump on and, and go through those videos. So yeah. that's really the way we think about how do you solve the training problem um, without, you know, without having to go through and building what, what most people would think of as training content. Yeah. So it, that's so practical. And, and to your point, I hear that all the time too. My managers tell me all the time, Taylor, I just don't have time to create training material for my new people. So I need to hover over them the whole time just to make sure we don't screw it up. And I'm like, look, pal, <laughs> that is not going to work. I'm right. just going to be straight with you. That's going to drive you crazy. That can't sustain. So I hope everybody takes that away. Another, another piece of advice that I give my sales managers a lot in this regard, rather than sitting there and correcting, rather than sitting there and, and you know, switching around everything, I tell them to pose it in the form of, of questions. So if they can give, you know, very Socratic advice and, you know, the Socratic method of saying, okay, well, have you thought about this? If the customer reads that, could they construe it this way? Um, if we sell this part of it and not that part of it, what does that look like? Whatever, whatever, the, whatever the Socratic method you want to use is, but what's great about that method is they don't feel that they're, you know, simply passing it off to you and then getting something back and, you know, basically relinquishing themselves of anything productive or, you know, progressive in terms of their growth. This gives them the ability to be and to continue to be the hero with you being the guide, you guiding them towards some of these good questions and, and making them think and critical think about ways that they could change or adjust the proposal or solution or whatever they're building for the customer by themselves. So you're not doing it for them. They're doing it by themselves with some advice uh, just based on you asking good questions. That's worked tremendously well in our organizations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love the, the, we call them teachable moments, right? Coachable moments where instead of doing something for somebody, you can really coach them through, well, what do you think about this? What do you think they'll say? What do you see here that's not right? You know, does anything stand out? So there's all these different questions that you can ask to get them to think on their feet. And that sticks with them a lot longer than you just fixing it. You know, I don't, I know you have kids, I have kids and 
uh, when you want them to do their chores, sometimes it's like, you know what? I could just go do the dishes and be yep. done with it. But you <laughs> yeah. know what? If it's their job to do the chores every week and, you know, the dishes aren't going in the right place, you have to go show them how to do it because mm-hmm. if not, it will always come back to you oh, yeah. instead of coaching them and taking the time. And you know what? I, I'm a manager. I understand. Like sometimes it's hard to just take that time, but man, does it pay dividends over, it really uh, does. over the long term. Yeah. And warning to all the managers out there, this is not an overnight fix. Um, as much as I'd like to say it is, this is one of those squeaky wheel subjects. So if you began the culture in your team environment, that the proposal has got to go by your desk, for an example, every time before it goes out of the client, just understand that you unwinding that is going to take some time. They're going to, perhaps they, they are timid about setting it themselves. Perhaps they, they don't want to, you know, they're a little bit nervous about potentially screwing something up or whatever the case is. So just have some grace, have some patience as you're trying to unwind this and give them a little bit more entitlement or, you know, uh, enabling them is a better word, enabling them for the, for the better. Just have a little grace and patience. It'll happen. But to your point, Josh, it's, you know, just like anything in life, it's going to take some time. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's going to take time for them to work through that and have that culture change of of who's going to come to you and how they're going to come to you. And and one last solution I'd like to throw in before wrapping this up is also to look at, you know, who they can go to other than the manager. So, for example, we have a method in in our processes where uh, whoever does the work doesn't get to QA the work. And, you know, that's Hmm. normal in like uh, an engineering term. But it's something that can easily be parlayed over into into sales. So if your sales works in teams or pods or groups or has other people that are more collaborative in different ways in the sales organization, you can say, okay, any quote that comes through or anything that needs to go out, that will go to another rep who is required to go through it first and provide their feedback. Like a peer-to-peer. Yeah, peer-to-peer. People have different strengths. You know, like I know... Um, I like to get the framework of things done, but I have other people on my team that are really good about the details. I have other people good are really reading from like an EQ perspective. How's this person mm-hmm. going to feel about how this is, how right. this is framed up, you know? So if you can even go to one other person and just say, Hey, I, you know, our rule is another sales rep or team lead or something else is going to review the quote. That's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. And they get used to having edits and changes and it's all for the better. Right. And we always right. say QA is not to tell you, you did it wrong. QA is to produce a better outcome for the client or yeah. the prospect in this case. Yeah. I, I love it. And I think you just nailed on something very important. That is a process-driven culture versus an invasive helicopter hovering culture. You know, there, there's a big difference between those two. And I think it's going to be felt at the organizational level and felt at the individual level if it is more about the process of a peer-to-peer approval than it is a, oh, I just got to check with my manager before I do anything uh, myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, that's, gonna, that, that's, that's a definite difference. And I like, I like the way that you delineated that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I like the inflection of I've got to check with them if I got to do anything. Anything. You know, like, because <laughs> we've all jerk. seen those guys, right? <laughs> we've all seen those guys yeah. and girls. Well, I'll ask yeah. my manager if I can. Oh, I don't know if I can make that change. Right. And the change is a comma. You're like, yeah. okay, you know, we've created a monster here. 
Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to get my bathroom pass from you so I can take a break, uh, Taylor. So now when you, you give talk. me my pass, I'll talking. be back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just wait in line. <laughs> All right. So with that, the final question we have for you as a leader is what are you doing to create independent sales reps? And this has been Purpose Driven Sales with Barnes & Sweetie. Now go lead on purpose. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>Thank you for joining us on the Purpose Driven Sales Podcast. If you've enjoyed the content, the best thing you can do to support us is go out to iTunes and give us five stars so that we can continue to reach more sales leaders.